Alright, well you're there in Jonah chapter number 4. And if you're friends with me on Facebook, you might have seen I posted a meme this morning as a joke on the pun about the straw that breaks the camel's back and there's basically a police lineup and a camel looking with bandages all over his back and pointing at the straw saying that's the one. If you might be familiar with that phrase, the straw that broke the camel's back, you'll know that it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with straws and with camels. It's an idiom. And I got the definition of that this morning. You remember from English class when you were in school, it says a group of words established by usage as having a meaning not deductible from those of the individual words. So if it was raining really heavy outside, I could say something like it's raining cats and dogs. And that doesn't mean that there's literally cats and dogs falling from the ground. It's just that if there were cats and dogs falling from the ground, it would be really heavy. And if there's a lot of rain outside, it's heavy rain. So I can use the phrase, it's raining cats and dogs, to describe the fact that it's heavy rain. Or if I were to tell you that so-and-so kicked the bucket, that doesn't mean that they went with their foot and they kicked the bucket. It means that they died. And you wouldn't know that unless I told you that. And the straw that broke the camel's back is another phrase that's an idiom. And basically what it means is that there's... There's an individual that has a lot of things, a lot of tension in their life, and over time, it can take something as minuscule as a straw on them, and they'll snap and blow their top off and lose their mind. And I want to talk about that kind of an instance this morning. And I was thinking to myself, there's a lot of biblical principles that I have, but I was hoping that I could find a story in the Bible that would have an instance of a straw breaking the camel's back. And I was thinking about it a lot, and then all of a sudden, Jonah chapter number 4 just jumped out to me, and I thought, what better of a place to go than this passage right here? Because if you're familiar with the book of Jonah, it's a fantastic story. It's something that kids know all the way from up, because for some reason, it's entertaining for kids to hear about a guy get swallowed by a fish for three days and then spit out on the dry land. But, you know, at the end of the chapter, it has a really pathetic ending, with Jonah just kind of whining about a little plant. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. That's Jonah's straw that broke his back. And look in Jonah chapter number 4, verse number 5. Jonah chapter 4, verse number 5, it says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow, that he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Now think about what he just said here. He's literally so mad that he would be willing to die, and he wants to die, he wishes that he were dead, over something so minuscule as a plant that he didn't plant that's been there for less than a day that just gave him shade. And all of a sudden that plant disappears, he doesn't have his shade anymore, and it's hot outside, and he's like, I'm so mad over this, I just want to die. Now we all can sit and we can look at those four verses there, those five verses there, and think, This is ridiculous, and this doesn't make sense. Who would want to die over something that little happening to them? But the thing is, whenever there's a straw that breaks the camel's back, you know how minuscule a straw is and how little it weighs. But the thing is, if there's a ton of bricks on that camel's back, and all it takes is one straw to reach the threshold of what it can handle, it'll break. 
over something that small. The problem is, is what people do is they don't pay attention to all the things that build up over time and they don't pay attention to all the things that drag them down and the tension that builds up and then all of a sudden one little straw falls on their back, it breaks them and they blame all the problem on the straw and they forget about all the tension that happened. And this morning, to illustrate this, I want to go through the book of Jonah. It's a pretty short book. The chapters are short, so I think we'll be able to go all the way through it and get the full context of the story. So go back to Jonah chapter number 1. Jonah chapter 1, as you're going back there, I'll read for you a passage in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So, Jonah chapter number 1. Jonah chapter number one, it's going to set the scene for us, and we will see the very beginning of Jonah's tension that builds up on top of him over time. So Jonah chapter number one, in verse number one, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he's running away from the Lord because the Lord has given him a job, given him a command that he wants him to do. He doesn't want to do that thing. He doesn't want to do it. And you'll find out why later in the book he explains why he did this. But he says specifically he doesn't want to do it. So he runs away from the Lord. Verse number four says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man to his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, what meanest thou, O sleeper, arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil was upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. There were men exceeding afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, 
and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So this is a pretty crazy story, and it's kind of a parallel of in the Gospels. You hear about the story of Jesus with the disciples. He's sleeping. They come to get him. But the thing is, they didn't have to throw Jesus overboard and get swallowed by a whale. Jesus could calm the seas himself, which actually happened here after they throw Jonah over the board. It was just a different situation there, but kind of a similarity there. But so Jonah runs from the Lord. He tries to get out of what God wants him specifically to do. He tries to deny what the Lord wants him to do and does his own thing, but that never works out, and that still doesn't work out today doing that. If the Lord wants you to do something, if the Lord is trying to do something, I'm not into this whole God speaking to you audibly and all these other things, but you know commands that the Lord wants you to do. You have his word. You know things that you should be doing. You can't get out of those things. Those are your job. Those are things that you're responsible for. Now, in this situation, Jonah tries to get out of doing those things, and it didn't end up well for him. He ended up being thrown overboard into the sea and then swallowed by a fish. This is a pretty traumatic experience, all right? That would be a couple bricks on your back to go along with this whole explanation I'm doing with this camel. That would be a lot of weight that you have to deal with, being swallowed by a fish in all just the you know terrible nastiness. I mean, you know the smell of dead fish on the sea. Imagine being inside the stomach of this great fish that's eating all these dead fish, and then you're just smelling the insides of the big one. It'd be a terrible stench. It'd be a miserable way to be, especially for that long of a period of time. But look in chapter number two at his response to this, what he does. Chapter number two says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardst my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountain. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So this is Jonah's deliverance from that trial that he had to go through. And his deliverance didn't come from the fish just happening to gag him up. It was the Lord that caused the fish to do that. And it's because Jonah told the Lord, I'm done playing games. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And so he's telling the Lord, I'm going to pay the sacrifice that I owe. I'm going to do the things that I owe to you. And so he's vomited out on the land. And then in chapter number three, we get Jonah's second chance. The Lord tells him again the same thing that he told him in chapter number one. Look at chapter number three of the book of Jonah. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Now, I want to point this out really quick. I've heard this preached pretty much my whole life that the fish swallows up Jonah where he's leaving from when he's heading to Tarshish, that the, that the fish swallows up Jonah and swims Jonah to Nineveh and spits him out on the shore of Nineveh. 
Now, whoever started talking about that did not get that from the book of Jonah, and I don't know where that got them from. Because notice what it says in the very beginning of that chapter number 3. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, not you're already at Nineveh. It says, Go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. He wasn't already there. He had to go there. So, Picture this. Put yourself in Jonah's shoes. You're in the belly of a whale, in the belly of a great, large fish. I don't know if it was a whale or not, but a huge fish. For 72 hours, you're spit out on the shore after being in this fish, down deep in the sea and all the different places you've been. And immediately, you get out on the fish, and then you have to take a journey to go to a place that you don't even want to go in the first place. Right? So this is a lot that he's being put down on. There's a lot of tension that he's getting. He's adding a lot of weight to his shoulders, which, by the way, this is not God just making Jonah's life hard. Jonah, when he was told the first time, could have just said, okay, I'll go to Nineveh like you want, Lord. He didn't have to get swallowed by a fish and then didn't have to go take the journey after he'd been in the fish's belly. You know, the Bible's pretty clear. If we do the things that God wants us to do the first time, we'll save ourselves a lot of trial and tribulation along the way. So there's an example of that right there, but I just want to point that out because it wasn't like Jonah had it easy after he'd been swallowed out by the fish and he just got to skip the whole journey part to go to Nineveh. The fish swallowed him up and took him to another place. I don't know how far the journey was, but the point is after being in the belly of a whale for 72 hours, I probably wouldn't want to get out and go on a long journey to get to another city, but that's what he had to do there. So Jonah chapter number three, continuing on verse number four, see what else happens here. It says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Notice what Jonah says to them. He goes in, he's told of the Lord to go there and cry unto the people, tell them to turn from their wicked ways. And Jonah tells them that in forty days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. There's no opportunity for Nineveh, according to Jonah's statements, to turn from their wicked ways, to get back to the Lord. But notice what the people do. As soon as they just hear this guy trying out to them and telling them that in 40 days their city would be overthrown, it says in verse number 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? So they're given a notice of judgment. They're told a time frame that in 40 days their city would be overthrown. As soon as the king heard this, as soon as all the people heard this, they immediately believed God. They proclaim a fast. They can look around and see themselves today. We're a wicked city. We deserve the judgment that's coming for us. We need to try the best that we can to turn from our wicked way that God will spare us. Okay, And you can see in verse number 10 that God saw their works. 
that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. So God gave Jonah the decree. Jonah goes out, tells them that in 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. He's got a very clear message that Jonah was giving that this city was facing sure judgment. This city knew that God was a merciful God and went to God for mercy and came and asked for mercy. They did all the things they could think to do. They didn't even let the animals drink the water. They made themselves fast. They were all fasting. They were all putting on the sackcloth. But if you look in verse number 8, it said, well, in verse number 7 it says, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. So even the animals had to put the sackcloth on. Even the animals had to fast. I couldn't imagine looking at my dog and taking the food and water bowl away, you know, and just trying to get any kind of, you know, knowledge into his head that he's fasting right now and he's not doing anything. But these people took this decree so seriously that, hey, it wasn't just the people. Every single living creature in this city is fasting. They're not drinking water. They're not eating food. We're putting on the sackcloth because they took it seriously. They took the Word of God seriously and they took God's people seriously that if God said something was coming, that it was coming. And God, through His mercy spared them and he saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not. Now I want to make a point here really quick. Now God spared the city here and he didn't just spare it because they all went and they got saved. I believe that there could have been some of them that got saved in the first place, but I believe that when they got saved wasn't when God saw their works. I believe when they got saved was when Jonah entered into the city and cried, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In verse number five, it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God. If they got saved, they got saved and they believed God. They didn't get saved by their works. The Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you're ever having somebody tell you that, you know, someone has to be saved by works, or it's good works, or it's turning from sins that gets you saved, you can take them right here to Jonah chapter 3, 10. That's 100% appropriate. It says, And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. So you know what turning from sins is? It's works. You know what turning from your evil way is, trying to change your life or turn things around? It's works. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't do those things. I mean, right here, if they didn't do these things, they would have been overthrown. But the point is, there's a big difference between soul salvation, which is God saving you from eternal fire and hell, and then physical salvation, which is in your world, in your daily walk in your world. A lot of times you'll run into Pentecostals out soul winning, and you'll try to get them to... You know, let you give them the gospel and try to do everything. And it's like, it seems like every Pentecostal's had like three or four near-death experiences that God physically raised them from the dead. You know, I don't know. It's just, it seems pretty unlikely to me that that's happened. But some of these stories are real convincing. But, you know, the thing is, they'll always be telling you about, there was this instance where I was out and I got hit by a car. I was in the hospital for a month. And how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, Jesus saved me and I'm still alive today. And you know what? Jesus can save you if you get hit by a car and you're in the hospital and he can help the doctors and he can get you the help that you need and then you can survive that car accident. But here's the truth. We're all going to physically die someday. 
We're all going to experience death unless the Lord comes back and takes us home before we experience that. But we're all going to experience physical death. So I've told these people when they tell me, oh, the Lord saved me you know, three or four times. It's like, well, what about the fifth time? What about the sixth time? What about the seventh time? There is a difference. And there will be one day where God might save you physically and he might prevent you from dying the physical death. But you need saved in a different way. And that's not what the message of Jonah chapter 3 is. I've seen some people try to take Jonah chapter 3 and apply this to how they got saved and it was because they turned from their work and turned from their evil ways. And then people will say, the way you get saved today is by turning from your evil way. But that's not what this is talking about at all. These people were saved physically. Their nation was spared. Their city was spared because they turned from their evil way. If we want America spared, we need to go out and cry something like, Yet 40 days and America will be overthrown or something. And maybe people would act. Now, I don't think you should go say that because God didn't tell us to say that. And you don't want to be lying and putting things in God's mouth that you didn't say. But honestly, the big difference between these people today and the United States of America today is the United States of America scoffs at the word of God. They'll sit up and they'll write legislation and they'll write you know, things up in our politicians in this country and will go directly against the word of God and think that it's funny. We're getting so wicked as a society and it doesn't even bother these people what they're doing. It doesn't bother people with the different abortion laws that they have. It doesn't bother. I mean, just this past week, it disgusted me. I went and saw that Texas had prevented abortions up to the point where you can detect a heartbeat. There's all these people just lamenting the fact that they can't murder their own kids anymore. And they're like blaming the politicians about this stuff. And some of them literally were in the comments, like protesting, saying, you know, I'm not going to say exactly what they said, but saying something along the lines of, you know, well, if I can't do this, then I guess I'm just going to have to remain abstinent or whatever. It's like, praise the Lord. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's like, that's the point. You know, they talk about all these different things. And well, if I can't do that, I can't live irresponsibly anymore. I can't control my lust of my flesh anymore. I guess I'm just not going to be able to commit fornication all the time. It's like, well, that's the point. You shouldn't do that. You should take things seriously. And, you know, look, these things are instituted for marriage and marriage should create children not children create marriages and certainly not children create the murder of that children itself and i'm thankful that there's states that are kind of rising up and starting to push abortion out of there because it's something that our that our country needs you know something that god hates is the shedding of innocent blood and you can't get more innocent than a baby that hasn't even taken its first breath and had the chance to sin yet so that is a completely wicked thing that's just a little bit of comparison and contrast between nineveh people in america are without excuse on this stuff. The word of God has been throughout this country for years and years and years. And I'm not saying that America has ever been just a perfect Christian nation from any point of it, but I will say that people in America are without excuse. I don't care what you can tell me about what science says about abortion or any of these other things. It is clear when you are getting an abortion, when you're committing abortion, you're committing cold-blooded murder of an innocent baby. That is a horrible, wicked thing to do. And I'm thankful that it looks like certain states are starting to step up and actually fight that battle and take care of it the way it ought to be. But so let's go down into chapter number four, because we see Jonah chapter three. It's a great chapter. It's a chapter where Jonah goes in. He's preaching that they're going to be overthrown and where they all take it so seriously that even the animals are fasting. Even the animals are wearing the sackcloth and they're all getting right as a nation. They got right. God saw their works. He spared them. Jonah should be thrilled, right? He should be happy. He should be rejoicing. He should be leaping and praising the Lord with them that they're going to be spared. Jonah chapter number four, look what it says in verse number one. It says, 
But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saving when I was yet in my country? Therefore, before I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So notice what he just said here. This is such a wicked attitude. You know, because you'll have people out there, they know that salvation is by faith alone, and just, just compare this to today, what it would be like in our modern vernacular and the things that we do. We know that salvation is by faith alone. We know that we can take a Bible and we can go up to people and share the gospel with them. That doesn't mean that all Christians are willing to take the Bible and share the gospel with someone and let them know how they can get to heaven. A lot of times it's because they're lazy or because they're scared, they're nervous of what it would be like. But this is a situation where it would be like you have someone that knows how to get somebody saved. They know how to show them out of the Bible. It's not that they're scared. It's not that they're lazy. It's that they want people to die and go to hell. All right. They, they understand that people are sinners. They understand that people deserve hell. And so they're saved. They're going to heaven. But they just want the whole rest of the world to just die and go to hell. Because they deserve it. That's how Jonah's attitude was here in terms of Nineveh. He wanted Nineveh to be completely wiped out. And I don't know why he wanted Nineveh wiped out, but he wanted them wiped out. And the reason that he fled in Jonah chapter 1 wasn't just because he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. He fled in Jonah chapter 1, it says, because he knew that if he went there and told them to repent and told them to turn from their wicked ways, that they would. You know, imagine that. So many people are just so desperate to go out and see great things done in the country and see great things done in the world. And Jonah has an opportunity where he knows, if I go out, great things will be done. If I go out, people will get saved. People will turn from their wicked ways. But he's just like, that's the exact reason I don't want to do it. That is an extremely wicked attitude. And he's not just you know, indifferent about this. He's mad that God is merciful enough to spare them. He's mad about that. And look in verse number four. It says, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? And here we are back where we started at the gourd. So God is telling Jonah to do all these different things. Jonah does it. The whole city turns from their wicked way. That even the animals are fasting. Jonah's just accomplished a great work, but he's mad about it because God is sparing them. He didn't want that to happen. He wanted Nineveh to be wiped out. So here we go, Jonah chapter 4, verse number 5, right back where we started. We got more context to the story. See if it makes more sense to you now. So, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? Right back here we are again. And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. 
So he's saying, the reason that I'm mad, the reason that I want to die, is because of the gourd. But he didn't want to die because of the gourd. He wanted to die because of everything that had just happened. He wanted to die because he was so mad, he was so frustrated because he tried to run from the Lord, it didn't work out, he's swallowed by a fish, he spit up on dry land, he has to go to Nineveh, and he hopes that he can go to Nineveh and preach them a message of judgment and hatred and evil that God is going to do to them. He does that, but then the city repents and they don't get judged. He might have just been in a really bad mood that day or something, wanted the city to get torched. He goes, he doesn't get the city torched, and then he gets put up on a hill to watch the city. And rather than the city getting fire and brimstone rain down it, Jonah gets a hot sun ray on his head and he doesn't even have shade anymore. And it's just, what is the point of life? If I don't have my shade, if the city's not getting destroyed, then I don't even want to be alive anymore. That's his attitude here. And notice what God says. It says, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. So he is pitiful over this gourd. He's in a terrible mood to the point that he would rather die over something that he didn't do anything for. He just got the benefits of it. God grew the thing. God provided the shade for him. And then God took the shade away and then put the sunlight on him so that he got a little hot. You know, what a tragedy. But you know what? Before you get high-minded and say, I would never do anything like this, you live in the United States of America, friend. You go through first world problems all the time, and your house, if it's set to like 73 degrees, you'll be complaining that it is super hot and you can't do anything about it. Or if you wake up in the morning and you left the air conditioner on and it's that weird time of the year, you know what I'm talking about, but in the springtime and in the fall time, where it's not really justifiable to use either the heating or the air conditioning and sometimes you'll wake up and it'll be freezing cold but you'll go to bed and it'll be warm at night you know there's people that don't even have houses to sleep in on the other side of the world but we complain in our house over this so don't act like jonah's really far out here complaining about the sunlight on his head people complain in america they complain about the sunlight the very first day of summer you know, after they've been mourning all winter about the cold all year long for the snow. People complain about the weather no matter what the weather is. It's just a fact. And so here you have Jonah complaining about the weather to the point that he's willing to die. I've never heard that anywhere else before. Yes, I have multiple times all throughout this country. But so he's crying for this gourd. He's pitiful over this gourd because it's not providing him the shade. And God is saying to him, you didn't do anything for the gourd. I gave you the gourd. I helped you with that gourd and I gave it to you. Why are you crying? Why are you complaining? And then he contrasts it with, in verse number 11, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein there are more than six, six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? So he's saying, you didn't do any work for the gourd. You went through Nineveh, and you preached to all of them. They got right, and you're not pitiful for them something that you did work for, that you are pitiful for the gourd that you didn't do any work for. And it's basically just God kind of calling him out, saying he's pathetic in this instant. And he's whining over the straw that broke the camel's back, but really it's Jonah's problem for not properly managing all the weight that he was taking on his back and not even getting right in the first place. You see, it says that he repented and he went to Nineveh, but he didn't really repent of what the first original problem was in the first place. He repented of the fact that he was fleeing from what God wanted him to do, but he never repented of the reason that he fleed. 
from what God wanted him to do. The only reason he went back was because he got swallowed by a great fish. And then he goes back, and he's like, okay, well, I'll do what you want me to do, but he's hoping that God's just going to wipe them out and destroy them. And then his greatest fear, this is such a wicked attitude, his greatest fear, they all get right, and they're not destroyed. And that's just the worst thing that could have happened, and Jonah's just done, he's ready to die, he's in such a pitiful attitude. That's the straw that broke, the gourd is the straw that broke the camel's back. But the gourd has nothing to do with the original problem itself. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning, is identifying the straws in your life. Looking at the little things that can kind of egg you on over time, that eventually will break your back, that you'll blow your top off, that you'll get mad about something, and you'll get really irritated. And I want to talk about those this morning. So, in our lives, we go through days and we can get irritated, right? We can see things come up in our life. And I just kind of had this example play out in my head about this anger and this irritation. Before I read out this example, I want you to think about this verse. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. It is a great skill to be able to control yourself. And there's a lot of people out there that have no control over themselves at all. Just like I was talking about earlier with those abortions, these women saying they're going to start having to control themselves and all their sleeping around and everything they do because they're not going to be able to kill their children anymore. They're going to actually have to do some self-control over that. Well, it's a big deal, self-control in this country, that people don't have. People will just walk around. They'll blow up on people. They'll go off on people for no reason at all. But the reason is because they've probably got a lot of tension on themselves that they're not taking care of, that they're not managing in any way. And their way of managing it and their way of dealing with it is just the wrong person comes up at the wrong time and then they just blow up on them. And then they feel much better. And then they just kind of do it over and over and over again. They go through their days, they build up tension, they blow up on somebody, feel much better. And it's just over and over and over and over again. The thing is, you can't just live your life blowing up on people. That's not a good thing to do to somebody. You can't just get mad at people. You can't get angry at them. You have to find a way to manage that. So think about this day. So say you wake up in the morning. You woke up a little bit later than your alarm clock. You press snooze too many times. So now you've got to be rushed to get out of the house. You go to get your coffee. You're out of coffee. You, t- you have to go to work. There's no coffee So great, you've already woken up late, now you're not even going to have coffee to give you a jump start through the day, and imagine that, you get to work, it's just a huge workload that you weren't even prepared for in the first place. So you have a rough day at work, right? All day long you've worked, you've gotten angry at all these little things, and everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong. All right, then you realize when it comes to lunchtime, you forgot your lunch at home because you were in a rush, so you don't have anything to eat to go through this day. You go back to work after your lunch break that you didn't eat anything and you're hungry, you haven't had your coffee, and it's just bad again. You work all day, you finally are finished with your day, you get home, and you walk in the door, and all the kids are just screaming. And it's just a chaos in the house. And you come in, and it's all bad, and then imagine this, your wife is having a bad day because she's been in the house with the kids screaming, so you're both in a bad mood. So all these things have happened, and imagine on the communion table here, that one side I've got one of these like cartoon bombs, and then there's just a fuse that's going all the way to this side. Every time something goes wrong in your day, there's a little bit of that fuse lit until you put it out. Okay, but if you never attach something else to that to make the fuse longer again, 
It's just going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And some things that happen, like you've had a rough day at work and then you don't even have lunch and just work is just terrible, is going to take a lot bigger of a piece of that fuse than you hitting snooze too many times on your alarm clock and being a little bit late. Okay, but then, so your fuse at this point, after all these different things have happened, you've never taken time to just kind of reset yourself, start over for the day, just kind of fix yourself up. All of a sudden, at the very end, a kid like throws a toy, it hits the other kid, and then they're just crying. And your fuse is at the end, and you explode on your kids. Okay? That's not right. You shouldn't just explode on your kids just because of that. But the thing is, you look back at yourself, and it's like, okay, well, I exploded on my kids because my kid did something that I didn't want them to do. Did you explode on your kids because they didn't, because they did something, they disobeyed you? Or did you explode on your kid because you were out of coffee before you went to work? Because you had a rough day at work? Because you forgot your lunch? Because your wife is in a bad mood? Because she's been with them all day? And all these different things happen. They build up over a long period of time. It's anger management that people need to do. In this country, man, people are just mad all the time. People literally go on social media, they make social media accounts, and I'm not going to sit there and pretend that I haven't tried to do this on Twitter. Make a social media account just to argue with people <laughs> about stuff. I mean, look, I'm not going to look at these abortion posts and all these different things just to kind of sit and laugh. It makes me mad. You know, but I look at that stuff knowing that it's going to make me mad, right? People just in this country, they just have a thing they like to get mad. You know, me and Brother Hugo were talking the other day. He mentioned something about it last week. Subscribing to CNN just to get mad. Just to watch the news clips and just to see the stuff that they have to say and all the garbage that they can push out all the time just to get irritated about it. But that's the attitude that people have in this country is just to get mad. You know what? It's not a good attitude to have. We shouldn't just go through life trying to get mad. And we absolutely should not go through life just trying to build up tension and build up stress to blow up on people and get mad. We should have a desire to be friendly towards people. We should have a desire to do everything we can to slow down the anger to take a break sometimes and just take it easy, you know. If you have to take a second, you're getting really irritated about something, take a second. You know, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 says, He that is slow to wrath is a great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. You know, when you're just blowing up on someone for them doing something really little, it's not because the person did something very little to you. It's because you've had a lot of stuff build up over time. You're acting in haste there. And probably the second you do it and you come back to your senses when you're done with this rage that's just built up inside you, you're probably going to feel pretty bad about it. Okay? And then you're going to look at this person who now you've ruined their day and you've burned up quite a bit of their fuse that they have before they blow up. They'll go through their day and they'll just go and blow up on somebody else. And it just spreads. We don't need to just all be angry all the time. We can lift people up. You know, why don't you, instead of blowing up on people, go up to someone and just be nice to them? Do something nice to people because it spreads. You know, you can see about how someone ruins your day and then you take it and ruin someone else's day. You can make somebody's day instead. And then they'll go make somebody else's day and we'll all just be happier in general. And that's what people need is to be happy. I'll give you an example of this in my personal life. This past week at work, I just was not having it. I'm just going to be honest. I was going there and on Wednesday... You know, it, it's hard to describe it for people that don't work there, but basically they're making us come in and do this extra time that they said we wouldn't have had to do when we signed up for the shift anyways. On top of that, they just did something where they're changing a lot of the, the job that we're doing, making it significantly more difficult on us. In the middle of the day on Wednesday, I didn't blow up on anybody. I used wisdom and I called my manager and I said, Thursday and Friday, I'm working a half day. Can you put me on the calendar for that? I'm only going to be able to be here for half of that. Because my son's birthday was this weekend and my in-laws were coming. 
And I'm telling you that my fuse would have made it all the way through work. But the last thing I want is my in-laws to walk in the door and just something to just irritate me. And then I blow up on my in-laws, in-laws that are coming to visit me from Ohio and my family for my son's birthday. I just used wisdom there to understand, hey, I've got this time saved up. This is what it's for. I need a break from this place. And I took a break, and you know what? I feel great. And I'm going to go back to work on Monday, and I'm going to have a lot of bad things happen to me, but it's going to be okay because I took some time that I needed, and I'm refreshed. And it's like some people just don't do that. And they're just like, man, everything's bad. Everything's miserable. And just keep on going. Everything's bad. Everything's miserable. And then blow up on somebody. Zero anger management whatsoever. And you're just waiting for something as insignificant as a straw to break your back. You know, there's big things that happen. And you know what? There's a time and a place to get angry at people. And there's a time and a place to just honestly go off on people. But the thing is, the Bible says that you're supposed to be angry and sin not. Okay, don't just go off on people just for the sake of going off on people and the ability to go off on people. We, especially as Christians that are representing Jesus Christ, ought to be as grace, as full of grace and mercy as he is. And so when you see people making little mistakes, don't just blow up on them. Don't go and make a big mistake. Don't let all these people that might throw a straw on your back every once in a while, let it make you collapse. But the way that a straw is going to collapse your back is by not dealing with the tension that's already there in the first place. So try somehow, whatever you need to do, whatever it's going to be that's going to help you get some stress relief, if it's going outside, if it's taking a walk, if you get pleasure out of walking into places that say you need to wear a mask and not wearing a mask, then do that. You know, I don't know. Some people like doing that stuff and getting it gets pleasure out of it and seeing all the startled looks of the faces from people that are wearing like three of them. You know, that that might be refreshing for you. But whatever it is that takes you getting refreshed, do it so that you can be a more pleasant person. And look, the more pleasant people are and the more happy that people are, it's a good thing. You say, well, this is just a feel-good message. Well, actually, you know, the Bible says that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and all these other things. People that are patient, and they love people, and they're caring about people, it's not just some weird liberal thing, and I'm just up here like a TV preacher. It's actually what the Bible says that we should be. It's actually what Jesus Christ was. You say, Jesus went into the temple and he was whipping people with the court. Yeah, he was. There's a time and a place. That was him being angry and sinning not. That was people in the temple of God turning it into a den of thieves. That's something that there's no tolerance for. But there was tolerance for Jesus Christ in literally all the other places in the gospel where he's just being long-suffering with people, where he's caring for people, when the disciples are failing him left and right, when Peter that said, I'll never deny you, denied him three times on the night when Jesus would have needed him most. But Jesus was long-suffering for it. He arose from the dead and he forgave Peter of everything and said, in fact, that upon Peter would he build the church. And that's another debate that people can debate me about all day. But uh, I'll close the sermon with that. And then people can complain about that. But, you know, honestly, we all should go through our lives being long-suffering. We should be patient and we should work on these things. And look, the way that you're patient, the way that you get through these things is by going through life and managing all the bad things that happen to you. Because, you know, what? here's a fact. Bad things will happen to you. And you'll have things that ruin your day and make you mad. But the thing is, you're the person that's in control of whether your day is ruined or not. 
Bad things can happen to you, but you with an optimistic spirit and a good attitude can prevent yourself from having a horrible rest of the day or ruining somebody else's day. So think about these things, identify the straws in your life, and don't let them break your back. So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord, and thank you for just the wisdom that you give us in your word. Thank you for this opportunity to preach this morning, Lord, and I pray that you just be with us throughout the rest of the day, that we can do a lot of great things for you today as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.